0: Eleven tonight Daniel 11 Uh, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up Daniel 11. If you weren't with us last week, it's quite the prophecy chapter. I think it's probably the most detailed prophecy chapter in the entire Bible. We did the first 35 verses last week. The first 35 verses were prophecies that have already been fulfilled. And if you weren't with us, I encourage you to grab that. It really is amazing the detail that God went in there for fulfilled prophecy. Now, starting in verse 36, this becomes future prophecy. So really what we're going to do here in verses 36 through 45 is this is all gonna be future prophecy. And if you really look, we're almost done with our study in Daniel. Chapter 12 is really only 13 short verses, and it's hard to believe we're already done with Daniel. Now, what we're gonna do here tonight, the main emphasis of who we're talking about tonight is the Antichrist. Now We've covered a lot of this stuff before. We just did a study in Revelation not too long ago, so a lot of this is going to be review. And a lot of the slides we're going to put up, I put some new stuff up in there. A lot of this is stuff that we've seen before and that we've gone through before. Now, the thing you got to remember about the Antichrist, and this is one of my pet peeves, and if you've ever heard me teach on the Antichrist before, you know what I think about this. The Bible makes it pretty clear the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the end. So anytime I see Christians trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Just let it go. When the rapture of the church happens and we're taken out, then the man of sin, the Bible says in Thessalonians, is revealed. Until that time, it's just kind of ludicrous to keep kind of talking about it, but it doesn't stop. Christians I'm trying to talk about it, and I've shared this story with you before. My, my favorite one I've ever heard is that uh, JFK is still alive. They have him on life support, and uh, that's the one I heard when I first got saved, so that's coming up to almost 20 years ago. So I don't know how old JFK would be now, but supposedly he was still alive on life support in the caverns of Washington, D.C., and he was the Antichrist because he was the one that's going to come back alive, and it's just crazy. You really start hearing all these different things, but no matter how many times you say that, you still run into somebody, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I'll have people come up to me and say, Do you think it could be him? I don't know. The man of sin is not going to be revealed. I, I don't know. We get a little bit of detail about who he is, but we're not going to know. But we do know he really is only on the scene for seven years. This man is argumentably one of the most influential men that it will have ever been lived. He's the only one that will ever have a world empire, in a sinful world I should say, but he's only around for seven years. But yet he takes up so much prophecy, he takes up so much information, and to be honest, he creates this almost fear in us. You know, Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, 666, false prophet. The truth of the matter is, we're not going to be here for you. But God still says, don't be ignorant of these things. So with that being said, let's figure out who he is. Rephrase, let's not figure out who he is. Let's talk about who he is from a biblical standpoint. Verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. Listen to the description of the Antichrist. This is really his mission statement. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath which has been accomplished for what he has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, and a god which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Let's just talk about a few of these things for a little bit. Let's put. Can you guys put the first slide up there? And this is a slide we've talked about numerous times before. You've seen this before. This is just a. Quick Cliff Notes version of who the Antichrist is. Um, you can see all the references there. Empowered by Satan, persecutes Christians, blasphemes God. Now that phrase, blasphemes God, is interesting. My New King James in verse 36 says blasphemes God. Depending on your translations, one translation says that he will speak marvelous things about God which almost sounds like it's complimentary. doesn't mean that at all. When he's speaking marvelous things, one translation says he will speak unheard of things. The claims that he makes as God and the claims that he makes against the real God are just, it's crazy, it's ludicrous talk, that's blasphemy, and that's what he's talking about here. He has political power, we know he's going to rule the world politically, economically, he will be aligned with the religious institution that's left, religious Babylon, there will be some type of fake resurrection in Revelation 13, and really, he's only in full power for really about three and a half years, he's on the scene for seven, but it's only about three and a half years that he really has power, if you want to look at it for that way. Now, I think it's interesting. Let's add to this, leave that slide up there. What do we have here in verse 36? We've already talked about some of this. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every god, speak blasphemies, etc. But look at the end of verse 36 shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. God knows this man has an end. It's a very short period, and this is a God-ordained thing that the Lord allows him allows him to have any power. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. That's a very interesting phrase. That's led some people to believe that this man may have a Jewish background because he would not regard the God of his fathers. Some people also see that phrase there, nor the desire of women, and it's led some people to believe that maybe this man may be a homosexual. Now, it also could possibly mean that he's just so focused on world domination that he doesn't care about women, relationships, or things like that. We don't know for sure. Obviously, verse 37 exalts himself above them all. Verses 38 and 39, his God is power, military might. Once again, Rome tried, couldn't do it. The Greeks tried, the Persians tried, the Babylonians tried, Egypt's tried. Everybody's tried to rule the world. This man actually will. He will actually be the power the world. And his military might, his military power will be his God, will be his glory and that's what he will use to rule the world. And according to Revelation he will also use his words has power to rule the world, so he'll have the charisma. Excuse me, he'll have the charisma of the most amazing person you've ever met. I think he'll be very well liked, but he'll also have the iron fist to back that up. So that's a brief introduction to who the Antichrist is. Now, verses 40 through 45 say now what's going to happen, but verses 36 through 39 is really who he is. Now, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about who he is in that sense? Yeah, John. I, I think it's possible. I mean, we know from Revelation 13 that he's a typical man that the enemy uses. Yeah, I mean, does he grow into that role of knowing who he is? I don't know. I think he's going to be so power-hungry and blood-hungry, maybe not. But we do know that, yeah, the power behind him, it makes it abundantly clear he's going to be possessed by Satan himself. Brian, Yeah. Yeah, and the best transition we have there is at the end of verse 35 where it says until the time of the end, which finishes our discussion there about Antiochus IV that we talked about last week. And then it says because it is still for the appointed time, which then transitions us to what's going to be going on in the future. But yeah, it's such a smooth transition between how vile of a person Antiochus IV was to now how vile of a person the Antichrist is. And it's such a smooth transition that both these men were horrible men that tried to have power and did horrible things to the Jews. And Antiochus the fourth is just a shadow of what the Antichrist is gonna be. It's a really interesting what you like you said there from verse thirty five to the verse thirty six how smoothly that transitions over. Oh, yeah, David. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Judas is, you know, Judas, the Bible makes it very clear, was possessed by Satan. And when we think of that phrase, possessed by Satan, we start thinking of somebody drooling at the mouth, eyes rolling back in their head, and doing all sorts of funky weird things. Judas was such a normal guy and acted so normal, the Bible makes it clear that the disciples had no idea that he was the one. So this guy that's the Antichrist, I, you know, like I said, and I use this term lightly, I think he's going to be a very likable guy. The world is going to like him, throw their support behind him. Some of it willfully, we know from studying Revelation, that they'll give their power over to him. Some of it by force, they give their power over to him. Either way, he becomes the world power, and this is going to be that type of charismatic uh, leader there that's going to happen. Do we also have anything here about who the Antichrist is? Now, let's talk about what's going to happen. Verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasuries of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. He shall plant... Excuse me. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, That he shall come to his end, and no one will help Once again, there's just really here five short little verses that describe everything that's going to happen. Let's go to the next slide, if you will, please. Now, what we're dealing with, and you see here in verses 40 and 41, is this idea of something called the Battle of Gog and Magog, which is really talked about more in Ezekiel chapter 38. There's a group from the north, and there's a group from the south. They come at Israel. And as we know, north, south. Meet in the middle in Israel. But well, what happens here, this is what goes on, is this Russia from the north comes down with a group of Arabic nations from the south, and it's a tag team effort. Now, I tell you this I don't want to get on my Israel soapbox, but I'm going to get on my Israel soapbox for a second. Israel is constantly, constantly being attacked. I mean, if you've been following the news here, I think they said in the last, what, couple days, over 200 mortars and rockets have fallen into Israel. Israel just retaliated, uh, killed 10 people in the Gaza Strip. I mean, there's always this this borderline war going on. Well, this group of Arab nations finally get together. They've tried this before in the past and it never worked. They finally get everybody together. They're going to hit Israel from the south. Russia is going to hit Israel from the north. And if you study out anything about the world and the relations with the Muslims and Russia, it's a really funky relationship, but it works for them. So Russia's coming from the north. The Muslims are going to come up here from the south. Go to the next slide, please. And what we happen is when is this going to happen? Well, we know it can't happen now. And the reason it can't happen now is because of these two passages. First one, Israel is gathered again, Ezekiel 38.8. If you read the verse there, Israel has to come back together. Israel is still in the process of coming back together. And if you remember when we had the representative come out from Chosen People Ministries, he talked about that, about the immigration coming into Israel. But the next one here, Israel is at peace, Ezekiel 38.11. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. I have never been to Israel, but I know they're not dwelling in an unwalled nation. That nation is militarily protected. And so this is not happening at this time frame now. There has to come a time and a place where Israel, and this is really hard to believe, Israel lets down its defenses. They are willfully letting down their defenses. Now, why would Israel do that? Let's put everything we've talked about together. Back in Daniel chapter 9, what did we say the Antichrist was going to do? He was going to confirm a peace treaty in the world. So finally, Israel feels like it has a safe peace, and so they let down their defenses because they're trusting this man, this Antichrist, to protect them. No nation right now wants to mess with Israel. Israel is a military power that can handle itself. And Israel has made it abundantly clear they will do whatever they need to do to protect themselves militarily. Israel lets down its defenses because they're putting fake trust in the Antichrist. Russia sees an opportunity. Muslims see an opportunity. Two-pronged attack. North, south, they hit Israel. Next slide, please. What happens? Well, Russia invades from the north, and Ezekiel 38 makes it clear God takes care of them. And when I say God takes care of them, I encourage you to go read Ezekiel 38 tonight. He completely, utterly takes care of them. Now, the Antichrist takes care of the group from the south. See, we just read this. Go back here to Daniel chapter 11 see what happens here See, he takes out the group from the south we just read then verses 40, 41, and 42, and 43 what happens then he rides this victory and you know what I put the word victory there in quotation marks Israel looks at him as their savior Israel was, was at peace walls were down Russia's coming from the north there's this miraculous fire from heaven that takes them out does he take credit for that? I can see him taking credit for that. The group from the south, the Antichrist, defeats himself. We just know this from Daniel 11. He rides this into something called the abomination of desolation. What happens is he then goes into the rebuilt temple, and he finally reveals his true colors to Israel, and he says, I'm God, worship me. Next slide, please. Which then takes us to this, this abomination of desolation of where he declares himself as God. That's the whole point, hence the term Antichrist. He is against Christ. He stands in place of Christ and he rides this Gog Magog victory into political power, to completely everything. But the truth is... One more slide here. Next slide, guys. This is now when everything turns. If you remember our study in the book of Revelation, once this abomination of desolation happens, I don't like to use this term loosely, but I think this is a term you could use. Hell breaks loose on earth. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, it's nasty. Nasty is not even the right word to describe it. I don't even know if there is a word to describe it. This abomination of desolation just triggers the last three and a half years. And this last three and a half years of tribulation on earth is where God pours out his wrath Thousands of years of sin that has been built up. Trumpet judgments, bold judgments. Uh, Jews see in Revelation 12 they were wrong. The Antichrist tries to destroy them. They flee into the wilderness in Revelation 12 where they're supernaturally protected by God for the last three and a half years. At this time, Antichrist turns. He tries to destroy any Christians that are left. He then destroys religious Babylon. He goes after everybody, and that's what he does. Look here, and we know this is what's going to happen. Verse 44 News from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, the neat thing about this prophecy, what's that news from the east? Well, according to Revelation 9, and we don't know for sure who it is. Yes, it sure sounds like it possibly could be China. But we don't know for sure. In Revelation 9, there's a 200 million man army that starts moving on Israel from the east. What happens? We don't know. We can speculate. Does China see a weakness? You know, Russia just got taken out. The Muslim nations to the south just got taken out. The Antichrist just fought this big battle. Is this now their opportunity to move in and take over? So they send 200 million. Our, Our minds can't even fathom. 200 million man army would be like 200 million men start coming at them so that news from the east troubles them so what does the antichrist do well he goes in verse 45 he finds this spot he finds this spot and he plants himself in this spot next slide please antichrist will be in control but look the news from the east troubles them he goes plants himself in this spot where the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain and last slide We know from this that spot is Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon happens. Where does he plant himself? Between the seas, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea, and that's where he plants himself. And that all sets us up to the Battle of Armageddon. So what's the Battle of Armageddon? The Battle of Armageddon seems to be all these nations of the world converging on each other for this huge battle against each other. And it's at that time Jesus Christ returns from heaven... And he's basically got everybody together. And I don't want to downplay this idea of billions of people being destroyed. But it's like taking out all the ants at once. They're all right there. And according to Revelation 19, that's what happens. And that's the Antichrist. He's really only in power for three and a half years. He's really only revealed for seven years. But his role in end-time events is so intricate and so important. And Daniel 11 here... From verses 36 through 45, does such a great job of describing who he is and what he's going to do. And we can put the rest of the pieces, the puzzle together from Revelation and also Ezekiel. So let's stop here for a second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about what we covered here thus far? Who he is? David. Yeah, bright bridle on a horse. Uh, you know, the blood will be so deep there. I mean, it, it's potentially having hundreds of millions, if not billion people there all in one area for this huge battle. And, and like I said, Christ comes down and, and judges them right then as he turns. It, it's going to be horrific. I mean, the Bible says um, that the birds will come and eat days and days and days. It's just going to be this, this horrific judgment that happened. And I always have to remind people, when, when you study out Revelation, it's really easy to look at Revelation and say, it's all judgment. When you study out Revelation, anytime you see judgment, You also see grace. God always gives the world an opportunity to repent and change. They choose not to. So since they choose not to, the option is judgment. Don't ever sit there and let Satan plant thoughts in your head of God's just a mean, nasty God that just wants to kill people. That is not true in any way whatsoever. He gives the nations an opportunity to repent. They choose not to. Brian? Yeah, I think it wasn't a point that made that comment that it's just this beautifully flat area, an area where it shouldn't be beautifully flat. And it's just this area where everybody can converge. And like I said, Daniel 11.45, that's exactly where he places himself, between the seas near Jerusalem, the ghetto right there. What it is going to have to be a creative lie. John just asked, you know, hopefully millions upon millions and hopefully even more than that are going to be raptured. And John said, what What are they going to have to tell him? Well, what happens is there's a passage here, and let me find it real quick because I want to make sure I – what's that? Martians came again. you know, I've actually heard people say that that's what they think. But it, I believe it's in Thessalonians here. Where it talks about, uh, right here, that they'll be able to, right here, it's in, you don't need to turn there, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The coming of the lawless one, Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Remember that phrase, lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception, remember that word deception. Among those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved, here's the phrase, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So it says in Second that Thessalonians that the Lord allows there to be a strong delusion that whatever lie the Antichrist comes up with, people say, "Oh, okay, which is just baffling to me. But you know what? when you read the Old Testament, it's baffling to me that they had little wooden statues they set on their countertop and said, "This God is what gives me food." You know, it's baffling me to me today that people look at certain things and say, "Right is wrong and wrong is right." So what happens here is there's a strong delusion, a strong lie um, that they're going to believe. Now you mentioned how they describe it. I, you know, I remember as a kid watching those movies. Um, what were they called? The classic '70s ones about the return. Solo, no somebody had to see Thief in the night, thank you. Thief in the night. I remember watching Thief in the Night, and I remember them having after the Rapture the way they described it was they had the religious leaders that were left. And they came out and said, well, this can't be the Rapture because if this is the Rapture. We would be gone. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Obviously, you're still here, so since you're still here, it really can't be the rapture. But there's going to be some strong delusion, some strong lie, and the people are going to accept it. And before you think that's too crazy, uh, just have to go back in history about 60 years and look at some of the things that happened in World War II, what people were willing to believe. It's just crazy what people are willing to accept. So, but yeah, run. We know from putting this all together, when they go into the wilderness, their eyes are open to the Antichrist is wrong, and yes, I believe that's the time where the Jews really realize who Jesus is. Zechariah makes it clear, Revelation makes it clear, their eyes seem to be open, and it's during that last three, three and a half years of the tribulation, the Jews finally realize we were wrong, and Jesus is really Lord, and they wait for his turn. No, 144,000 are a group of, and I use this term respectfully, super Jews that are raised up at the beginning, the first three and a half years of the tribulation to go out and, be lights and Else got anything here before you close up? Okay. Now, you know what I'm going to say about this type of stuff? Because I say it every time we talk about prophecy. It's important to know this. It's important to know this because this is a knowledge that God wants us to have. He makes it abundantly clear in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus said it's imperative that we know what happens. Number two, it's important for us to know because it gives us a peace. And that's what we talked about last week in Daniel 11. Since we know how it ends, we don't have to worry about what's happening right now. I want to stress that. We know how it all Completely plays out. We know. So, since we know how it completely plays out, and we know that God already knows how it's going to completely play out, we have nothing to worry about in what's happening right now. That's what we talked about last week. And the last one, and this is the most important one, since we know how this ends, and we know there's potentially hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people, we know there's going to be billions of people killed during the tribulation, this should hopefully spur us on to be the lights and witnesses we're supposed to be as we live now. Since we know what's coming... This then spurs us on to say, I want to live a righteous life in Christ because I know the end is coming. And number two, I care for my unsaved loved ones, and I don't want them to go through this. We can sit here and just talk about Antichrist and Gog and Magog, and we can fill our head with knowledge. That doesn't do any good. Take the knowledge, let it affect how you live, let it affect who you witness, let it affect you and that you don't worry, and then go out there and be a light and a witness in all the same. So that ends Daniel 11, I think one of the greatest chapters of prophecy in the Bible. takes us to Daniel 12, which we'll get into next week. It's a short little chapter, and uh, we're almost done here with our study in Daniel. So, does anybody have any final questions, comments about anything we covered here tonight? Gog, Magog, Daniel, or um, Antichrist, or anything? Oh, yeah, Renee, Sagan, and what's going to happen to them? Well, I mean, they're still going to be under the uh, reign of the Antichrist. The Bible makes it clear in Revelation that he has ten kingdoms that willfully give their power over to him. So the whole world is going to fall under that type of sway there. But we got to remember when it comes to the Bible, the Bible always centers itself around Jerusalem. It's not that... South America and North America is not important, but what God cares mostly about is what's happening around in Jerusalem. Does that mean South America will send troops over? I could see that happening. I mean, that happens in World War II. We sent troops over to Europe. So obviously North America and South America will be involved, and they're going to be part of the utter destruction that happens too. But God always focuses around Jerusalem. That's where everything is. But they're going to be involved in it too because the Bible makes it clear the whole world will be under the sway. The whole world. Yeah. It's amazing when you, yeah, it is. It's amazing when you talk to some of these missionaries that we support. I think Fred and Debbie Davis over in Africa. I think of the Harmons over. I think they're now in the Philippines. Is that correct? Lose track of where they're. Okay, and they're over there on the front lines, dealing in these very Muslim nations and very non-believing nations. And they talk about people getting saved. They talk about families getting saved. And God's doing a mighty thing. And He's doing a mighty thing. We may be pretty lethargic and apathetic here in America. God is really doing a mighty thing in the rest of the world. And it's a pretty cool thing to see what he's doing. Anybody else got anything they want to say here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for revealing to us the future. And I pray that as you reveal that future to us, help us to walk faith, not fear. Lord, help us to walk in expectation of your return and not worry. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that cares. And we do pray for all our unsaved loved ones, friends, family members, all of them, that they may truly come to know you in a personal way and help us to live for you in all we see. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless.